Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Let's read our scripture again. Let's begin with verse 6, chapter 1 of Timothy. Therefore, I remind you, this is the Apostle Paul. This was the last book the last letter that he wrote in the late 60s A.D. before he was executed at the hands of Nero, the Roman emperor. He writes this letter to his precious son, Timothy. I remind you to stir up. It's your job to stir up the gift. You didn't earn that gift, but you are to stir up the gift that you already have. It is in you. And how'd it get there? Through the laying on of my hands. How about that? Hebrews even tells us that the laying on of hands is a doctrine. How ignorant we have been to some of the scriptural principles that for whatever reason God uses natural action to accomplish spiritual transaction. Now meditate on that some. But why do you take the the Holy Communion. Why were you baptized? Why is there the anointing of oil and the laying on of hands? It is a natural action through which God does a spiritual transaction. We don't bring it to pass. We're just vehicles. The content, the substance is in God. But it's his idea. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, you remember, when I laid hands on you, you received a gifting of God. So where was Timothy right now? Pastoring the church of Ephesus. You think you might need a little spiritual power to pastor a church that most of your members came out of the worship of the goddess Diana. Think you might need a little bit of anointing there. I said this last week, I want to say it to you again this week. And you need to understand that people all over the world are listening to these messages. Understand how valuable it is for you to be under the right spiritual leadership. Because spiritual DNA is transferred through spiritual leadership to whom you submit. Let me say that again. The spiritual leadership to whom you submit affects you, whether you realize it or not. We take on the spiritual characteristics of those to whom we submit for leadership. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Now, just by way of quick review, we defined fear as an internal forecast of a result you don't want. Fear, biblical fear, the kind of fear God's talking about is not a reaction that causes you well-being. The other night, as I told some of the men uh, on Tuesday morning, the other night, Dean and I were sitting in our Uh, uh, den there, and all of a sudden, 
there was an incredible pounding on the walls and windows of our house. Not a doorbell ring, not a knock on the door, but a pounding. I mean, it rocked our world. We looked at each other and said, what is that? We stood up, and in about 30 seconds, there was this enormously loud pounding again. Now, that'll shake you up just a little bit. At night, not expecting anybody, no doorbell, no nothing. So I got to tell you that the adrenaline began to flow just a little bit. And I'm not going to tell you what we both did before we went to the door because some of you would be offended. So I'm just not even going to go there. But I want to tell you this, that we went and turned on all the lights we could. And then, after a minute, we decided that we would go around the entire yard and look behind any hedges, and uh, we would investigate where this came from. We were a little bit more prepared, Sandra Joan, to go outside. That's all I'm going to say. But I will tell you this. I see you got that. My point is this. Sometimes a fearful reaction, this was not an atmosphere, this was not an internal condition, it was a reaction to a stimulus. Sometimes a fear, a, 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 a reaction can be prompted for your well-being. Turn a light on. Pull over if your vehicle is saying you got problems. Talk to your physician if you've got 104 fever. Dear Lord, please. Do something. You see what I'm saying? That's not the kind of fear that the Bible is addressing here. The kind of fear that the Bible addresses is an atmosphere. It is a condition. It is something that is on the inside of you that is constantly forecasting a result you don't want. And I got news for you. Every single one of us have some of that lodged in our inner man. And if you don't think you do, you just had not gotten into the right circumstances yet. This is the most vicious battle that we as believers have. It is the battle with fear. Because we don't even realize the deep roots and all of the tentacles and growths that come out of unexposed, undealt with fear. It's enormous. We identified a few Last week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we talked about how, you know, sometimes we have a fear of failure. I don't know about you, but for a long time in my life, I, I, I was so afraid of failing that I'd do anything to make it appear. Or not, look, not just the fear of failing, but the fear of appearing to fail. Right? You don't want to appear to have failed. 
Why is that? Because sometimes if we appear to fail or we fail, we think that we'll be rejected. That we will displease others who are counting on us. I admitted to you last week that one of the things that has troubled me in the past is not so much that I would fail, but that I would not be able to invest in those closest to me that I feel it's my responsibility to help. I reminded some of you last week that that is a touchy, tricky deal, especially as you deal with your adult children. It is incredibly difficult. And as I said to you last week, there's no one-size-fits-all on how to do that. You're going to have to wrestle that out with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want, to, I want to say something just at the tail end of what I discussed last week about responses to, to helping your adult children. Uh, understand this, that there will probably be seasons in all of your adult children's life that you may want or need to assist them. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't adopt the attitude that it is now your responsibility for their well-being it's okay to help them get water out of the boat it's not okay to become the boat You say, Pastor, how do you know the fine line there? There's not a one-size-fits-all. There's not a deal that says, okay, for this amount of months or this amount of years, you got to do this. You're going to have to figure that out between you and the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it is not only okay, it's good to get outside professional counsel, people that deal with this all the time. That's a good thing. It's not wrong. It's not weak. But as you focus, as you ask the Lord, what do I need to do? You may be called on to assist your adult children and maybe even your adult grandchildren. You may be called on to do that. If you are, God has seen that you're worthy and that you're able and that he can count on you to do it. But recognize that it is counterproductive for you to begin to take on the mantle that somehow you are their provider. Always be trying to coach them that there is a provider who's a lot bigger than mom and dad. And that there is somebody who can help them. His name is Jehovah Jireh. That's not sin or wrong or failure. How long do I have to stay in that? I don't know. You'll have to seek the counsel of the Lord. Here's what I'm trying to tell me and you. Dina and I as spiritual parents and you as, uh, as natural parents, I'm trying to tell you this. It is not right for us to adopt an attitude that somehow we are the provider of other people. You are not sovereign and neither am I. Amen? God is. It's not shameful for us to help our children and grandchildren. 
Nothing wrong with it. Just don't adopt the attitude that, and don't let them adopt the attitude that somehow you are still their provider. Remind them that there is only one sovereign provider, and it's not you. Amen? I am not, I just wanted to add that little clarity there because that is a common challenge for many, many of us. We talked about how uh, we have fears like fear of being left alone. I confessed that to you last time. We have fear of lack. We have fear of death. We have fear of dying. We have fear of disease and disability and all kinds of things. And you know what? Remember how this works. A thought followed by an image followed by a response. Do you know that thoughts provoke pictures in your mind? And they're relentless. You do know that the fight against fear is relentless, don't you? Why? This morning I was eating my favorite breakfast, Scott. The breakfast of champions, you know what that is, peanut butter and honey. You're not going to see me on Sunday without having a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Not going to happen. It is my energy, Daniel. Got to have it. And this morning, as I was eating my favorite breakfast of champions, for some reason, something went down the wrong way, and uh, I started coughing to clear that peanut butter and honey, which is not exactly easy. A thought came into my mind. You could die this way. (laughs) Then an image came instantly into my mind and I had a picture. Okay, I'm going to be in the nursing home eating my peanut butter and honey sandwich So that's the way I'm getting out of here. (laughs) Pastor Steve Franklin dies of peanut butter strangling. I'm not trying to be a clown. I'm trying to tell you, you know good and well that you can have a thought and it'll produce an image and if you don't deal with it, it'll start accumulating. And the accumulation of those thoughts and images will begin to produce a response in you of anxiety or fear or control or manipulation or panic or overreaction. And Are you with me? say, Pastor, that was kind of silly, but you know good and well that every one of, what I'm trying to tell you is that you don't have to go out there and look for things to provoke fear. There are voices already on the inside of you. Hmm. Okay, so what are the results of fear that keeps on going? We attract what we don't want. Remember what Job said? The thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. Wow. Do you realize 
that when you continue to harbor fear, deep down in your inner man, when you continue to harbor fear, it affects not only how you think, but it affects what you say. And what you say affects how you act. And do you know that there is an evil agent? Did you just read 2 Timothy 1.7? God has not given us a spirit of fear. There is an active agent that energizes fear. And do you know that if you continue to operate in fear and speak fear and think fear and act fear, there is an active agent that will gladly partner with you to bring to pass what you greatly fear. You, great, you greatly fear the demise of your income, your health, your family, your marriage. You better watch how you think and speak and act because there is an active agent that will partner with you to bring it to pass. You say, Pastor, how does that happen? Jesus made it very clear. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy and he is active in this world system. Don't go to sleep on that. We attract what we don't want by allowing fear to come in there. What are some of these symptoms that fear is in there? Well, there's a lack of intimacy because if we have fear, we don't want to be exposed. because We don't, we don't really want to share where we are, what we're thinking, how we're feeling, because we're afraid that we'll be rejected. And that really works against intimacy with Jesus and our covenant relationships. It's fear. It'll destroy a marriage. If you've got deep roots of fear, you just won't intimately share because you're afraid you'll be rejected. And a lot of times when we have deep roots of fear, we try to control and manipulate other people and even overcompensate to make sure everybody likes us. I'm talking to the choir here. We're, we, we're flighty. We, we, we want to run from it. Sometimes we'll isolate. It's amazing to me over these years how people tend to run from their uh, spiritual shepherd. It's amazing. And I don't take it personally. But can I tell you something, those of you who are running from me? You ought to know by now better than that. You ought to know how much I love you and pray for you. And you will never be able to do anything that will stop me from loving you. Nothing. Fear is serious. We close with this last time because it insults and violates the character of God. Let's turn over to the right to 1 John 4 again. I want to show you something. And I want to spend just a minute here on this. See, I used to think, well, fear, okay, it, it's, a, it's an elective. Everybody has it. It's not that big a deal. Can I tell you something? Everybody say this with me. Fear is a big deal to my father. Let me prove that to you. We ended with this last time. First, first John 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. 
Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now skip back up there to verse 16. God is what? That word is agape, unconditional, unrelenting, always on love, never withdrawn. So if God is love and perfect love casts out fear, if I allow fear to dwell in me and have a root in me, what am I saying to God who is love? That is an insult to the character of he who is love because perfect love can't stand fear, throws it out. So if I welcome it and allow it to stay in the rooms of my soul, I am insulting the character of he who is love. Do you see that? What I'm trying to tell you is this is a big deal. God's Spirit is grieved by this grieved so we got to get serious about this it comes from a root and that root is a failure to believe what God says is true remember John 8 31 32 if you abide in my word you will know the truth and the truth will what set you free how do I get into such a place of unbelief? Well, unbelief is, for one thing, it's inherited. Did you know that when you were born physically, you were physically alive, but you were spiritually dead? And did you know that you have the spiritual genetics of Adam before you were born again? If you ever take a look, turn back there with me for just a minute to Genesis 3. I want to show you something. In Genesis 3, I want you to see what the first response of Adam and Eve's unbelief was. The first response of Adam and Eve's unbelief. When they disbelieved God and they ate they believed the lie of the devil. They disbelieved that God wanted the best for them and believed that there was something he was withholding from them that was good. And they stamped into that lie and they ate that fruit that God say, said would lead to their spiritual separation. Verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord. Isn't it the natural transaction uh, for us to try to hide when we have sinned instead of coming clean with our Father? Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord said to Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was what? 
Do you see that the first response of disbelief is fear? Because I was naked, I saw myself in this place of shame, and so what did I do? I ran from you. Don't forget, God was pursuing them. And don't forget that when they had to leave the garden, God went with them. Clothed them and went with them. You don't hear that much in religious circles, do you? Hallelujah. But understand this, that fear is a result of a failure to believe something that God has said. You get that breaking news in your office tomorrow morning that this has happened to the market or that is going to happen or this has happened to somebody that you love. There is, a, there is an opportunity, there is a test put on you on whether or not you're going to believe what God has said. He is your shepherd, you shall not want. That he will meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That he is the author. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That he's created this earth and all that is in it. Or you can believe the lie that somehow your customer is your source of security. Somehow your children are going to go down a path of destruction because of a couple of things you've seen. Are you with me? You can hear a voice or see something that is a stimulus that enables you to have a thought that produces an image that will produce a response if you don't stop it and tell yourself the truth. Do you not understand that that same lie has been told you for 20 or 30 years and it didn't come to pass? You are st- you're not living down at the Jimmy Hale mission. He's still provided for you. You still all right? Fear. And it will develop quickly. It's inherited from our old nature from Adam, but we also choose to fear. I hear this frequently from Christians. Well, if it can happen, it'll happen to me in the context of something they don't want to happen. Well, if anybody's going to get the flu, it'll be me. I get it every year. You you hear that, don't you? We're surrounded by voices of fear. Some of them are internal, and some of them we have chosen. But remember this, that God's Word says, by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. The power of life and death is in the power of your words. It's a serious thing. Words are vehicles and carriers of fear. But they're also vehicles and carriers of life and hope and joy and power and love and a sound mind. 
So where does this fear come from? It comes through the open gates in our soul, our mind. And as you know, there are all kind of demonic agents that will assist you to walk in fear. These thoughts, these images, these internal words produce corresponding action. But I want us to go back for just a minute to 2 Timothy 1.7 and look in closing at something that, for whatever reason, after many years of this passage being in our mind, we've never really gotten it down in our heart. Verse 7 again, God, Lord, give us revelation. God has not given, everybody say me, a spirit of fear. Again, I know this by experience because I lived in fear for 40-something years. You say, well, how can you be a pastor? Easy. Just like you. And I want to tell you this, sometimes God loves you so very, very, very much that the circumstances that you're in today that you don't understand, He's trying to use to help you understand that what you're seeing is not your problem. What you're seeing, what you, your real problem is something deeper than just what you see there. And a lot of times it has to do with deep roots of fear. And those deep roots of fear come, again, from a failure to believe, to really believe what God has said. That's always the common denominator you can lead back to. Is that the only action you take? No, we'll get to that. But it is the common denominator of that root. But understand this, that just like in the Garden of Eden, the evil one is incredibly attracted to fear. I want to say this one more time before we close. Our ongoing deep-rooted fear will give the devil permission to do things he has no right to do. To steal, kill, and destroy. He's a trespasser. You belong to Jesus. He bought you with his own blood. So let's, you got to come back next week because I'm going to tell you next week how to face this, to stand up, and to really begin to see some results against this insidious, thieving enemy called fear. Are we ready? Let's all stand. Where are you most broken? As you look at where you're most broken, it might be in a relationships, it might be in your finances, maybe in your health. 
Wherever you're most broken, would you this week, would you ask the Lord, and don't put it off, would you ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, you know all things there is to know about me. Would you reveal to me what the root of my brokenness is? Would you reveal to me what you're really trying? By your Holy Spirit and even even through lingering circumstances that I know you could fix, would you really reveal to me the heart of where I'm broken? And I will agree with you. Turn the light on, Lord, and arm me. Turn the light on and arm me with the resources of your word, the spirit of truth. And I will deal with whatever you tell me is the root of my brokenness. I suffered for months and years with the with the tentacles of fear. It is not pretty. And you know what? I didn't even know what the root of my issues were. Didn't even know it. I bet there might be somebody else in this room today who can say, Pastor, I bet I've had some of the same issues you do. Am I over fear? Do I have skin on? But I want to tell you, there comes a time for a showdown. There comes a time when you have got to decide, I will not live this way anymore. Uh uh. No more. No more. And Lord, I'm going to partner with you, and I believe you're going to destroy the roots of this thing called fear deep within me. You know what? You can do that, and the Lord will honor that. I do want you to be here next week as we go through. How to, put you, how to put your foot down. How do I receive the love of God that casts out fear? How do I practically do that? I think it'll be a blessing to you. Dean and I love you. Father, I pray your blessing. Give us greater revelation of who you are, of how you feel about us, of the resources that are in us. Give us not only greater revelation, Lord, but strengthen our will reinforce our will to close the door, dig up the roots of fear by the power of the truth of your word, by the mighty force of your love. Teach us how to do it, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. And all the people said, amen. Well, we'll see you next week. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.